This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Lord God, as we approach your word tonight, we pray that our hearts and our minds will be open and that we will understand. And Lord, we will see you, the mighty God, and rejoice in the fact that the mighty God is our God tonight, that he loves us, that our names are written in the book of life, that through his son he saved us. Lord God, we have much to thank you for tonight. So we pray as we look into your word that you will open our understanding. Our thoughts, our mind, and our heart will be enlarged whenever again we look at you and see who you really are. So we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Come with me, please, to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And uh, this is where Moses and God are having a conversation. God wants him to go back to Pharaoh and demand that he let God's people go. Moses was remonstrating. He was trying to find excuses not to do it. In verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. In the old King James it says, I am that I am. I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. This morning we spoke about our transcendent and imminent God. And tonight I want to follow that with our self-existent and immutable God. Now, I know that those are theological terms. And you may say, well, I'll never understand that, so wake me up when it's over. Well, I think that you will understand it. It's not as difficult to understand as you may imagine. So please don't switch off and think this is going to be way over my head. It isn't. What does God being self-existent mean? What does God being immutable mean? What does it mean biblically? But what does it mean practically for us tonight? Because it's one thing to understand what it means biblically, scripturally, but quite another thing to understand what it means to us practically. All of God's doctrines has got to be worked out practically in our lives. It's not just dry academic stuff. It means something to be worked out in our lives. 
And so when God calls himself, I am that I am in Exodus 3.14, and Jesus himself invoked that name in John 8.58, where he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And out of the many things that that great name implies, there is one thing that really implies is that God is self-existent. That God exists in and from himself, that he is the reason for his own existence. As the self-existent one, he doesn't owe his existence to anything or any other. Neither does he depend upon anyone or any other thing to sustain him. He, we have a beginning, he has not. We will have an ending in this life, but he will not. We needed others to sustain us from birth to death, but he does not, because God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the everlasting one. He has always been, and he always will be. There never has been a time when God wasn't. There was a time when we weren't, before we were born, but there's never been a time when God wasn't. Psalm 93 and verse 3 says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. But then what about the old argument is, well, what was there before God? Well, it's a nonsense, really. In fact, evolutionists and cosmologists and atheists and all kinds of people are trying to find uh, what was the origins of our beginnings. And they're forever looking back and back and back. Uh, and they want to go back to what they believe is their Big Bang hypothesis 13 and a half billion years ago, when what they talked about is a singularity, uh, when one little <laughs> single power or energy or force or whatever, whatever it may be, that it exploded and it expanded. And then out of that one singularity was formed all the galaxies and nebulae and planets and stars. But of course, then we asked the question, well, what was there before that singularity? And they reply, nothing. They say nothing. They say nothing created everything out of nothing. And they laugh because we have faith in God. It takes some faith to believe that nothing created everything out of nothing, doesn't it? Realizing, of course, that that statement is on scientific guesswork, the late, brilliant mind, Stephen Hawking, that uh, he said it was gravity. It was gravity created everything. But as Professor John Lennox said, well, gravity isn't nothing. Gravity is something. So where did that come from? Professor John Lennox, by the way, he was <coughs> professor of mathematics at Oxford University. He was schooled in Oxford and Cambridge. He's a brilliant mind. And he's a believer, a born-again believer, and he's a Christian apologist. And in debate with, with uh, Richard Dawkins, who's the poster boy for the New Atheists, He's also a brilliant mind, by the way, too. And in debate about the God delusion, the book that, the book that, that Dawkins wrote, trying to make a nonsense of God and creation, 
uh, of course, Dawkins was prone to asking this question. Uh, the question was, well, if you believe that God created everything, then the question must be asked, who created God? So Lennox says, well, must we ask that question? Are, are you saying that who or what created X? Because if you are, then you're assuming that X was created. But our God, the biblical God, was not created. So it doesn't apply to him. <laughs> and then he put the question back on him. He said, you say that the universe created you, so I ask you, who created your creator? <laughs> he says, after 10 years, I'm still waiting for an answer, but he hasn't given it to me yet. And so all those arguments that, that seem to be great, deep arguments are actually <coughs> nonsensical. The Bible never, ever sets out to prove there is a God. It assumes God. Right from the very start, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah. John 1 verses 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. Hebrews 1 and 10, and you Lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. In 1 Timothy 1.17, it talks about the King Eternal. In Isaiah 57.15, the High and Holy One who inhabits eternity. Revelation 1 and 8, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Isaiah 44 and 6, the Lord of hosts, He is the first and the last. All of those is telling us that God is timeless. Past, present, and future are all understood in God, who is the eternal I am. God is the great I am. He is the self-existent God. Hallelujah. And because he's the self-existent God, he's the self-sufficient God. Glory. He's the fountain of all living things. He didn't create this world and everything that is in it, including us, because he needed that to exist or to sustain him. He created all of that, including us, because he wanted to. Not because he needed to, but because he simply wanted to. He needs nothing. He needs no one to sustain him. He is wholly, completely self-sufficient. Before there was an earth, before there was a world, before there was us, there was God. He didn't need any of us. He didn't need this world to exist or to sustain him. He is totally self-existent. God owes us nothing. Never get it into your mind that somehow or other, because sometimes this can happen, that somehow or other you're doing God a favor by serving him. You aren't. God favors us. That's why we serve him. But we're not doing him a favor by serving him. God owes us nothing. We owe God everything. So God is the self-existent God. But God is the immutable God. What does that mean? What we mean by God's immutability is God is unchanged and unchangeable as to his character and nature. I'll say that again. God is unchanged and unchangeable as to his character and his being, his nature. 
His laws are eternal. His laws are unchanging in the form of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is unchanged and unchanging in all of his attributes, in all of his perfection of character, in all of his that he cannot and he will not ever change. He is immutable. Everything in this world changes, including us. But God doesn't change. He cannot change. He's immutable. It is impossible for God to change. What he was, he is. What he is, he will be. That will never be any different. Thank God. James 1.17, God is the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In Malachi 3.16, I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 6.18 lets us know that God and his word are immutable. Now, it's true, absolutely true, that God's dealings with man can and do change. But his essential moral attributes will never change. They are immutable. But what about the times when it seemed to be that God changed his mind? Because there's instances in the Bible where it that God, seems that God changed his mind. For instance, God sent Jonah to the Ninevites and told them unless they repent in 40 days, he was going to destroy them. But changing his course of action towards them was contingent upon them repenting or not. And when they repented, he relented. It was always in his mind that if they repented, he would relent. It's not, it's not just a case that God just, for, just because he's in a mood just to change his mind. God knew exactly what he was doing, and he gave them the choice, and he allowed their will to come into play here. The gospel was to the Jew first. That was God's prerogative. But he always had it in mind that it was to go to the Gentiles also. Because even in the Advent season, as we read those scriptures, you'll see that the Gentiles was included in that great message, joy to the whole world. But it was to the Jew first. Even Jesus in his ministry said it was to the Jew first. But after the Jews refused Jesus and refused the gospel, then he turned to the Gentiles. And by and large, as I said a couple of weeks ago, there's more Gentiles saved today than there are Jews. But God didn't turn to the Gentiles out of spite against the Jews. He always had in mind to turn to the Gentiles, but it was the timing. He had to give the Jews first refusal, as it were, and they did refuse, and then, lo, he turned to the Gentiles. It's not that God changed his mind when, when they refused his son. He always was going to go to the Gentiles. That was a case of when they refused, then he turned to the Gentiles. Many of God's promises are conditional. His decrees, his promises, but often they are contingent upon our faithfulness and our willingness to embrace them. He himself is immutable. Psalm 33 and 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. 
Psalm 102, 25 to 27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, for your years will have no end. So God is self-existent, and God is self-sufficient. He's in need of nothing. He's in need of no one. But that shows us how privileged we are, the fact that he chose us. Not that he needed to, but he chose us and favored us and blessed us and saved us and met our need again and again and again, simply because of his love and his grace towards us. All of this is his love and his grace and his mercy. He is immutable, unchanged and forever unchanging. And so we should be grateful that he is like that because that means he's unswerving, unflinching. He's dependable. You can count upon him. He's not going to keep chopping and changing like we do many times. You can count on God. He will not change. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He says, I will stand over my word to perform it. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. All the theories of men, we talked a moment or two ago about men's theories regarding how this universe began. All of that is constantly changing, constantly and every time it changes, it's back to the drawing board. But God's word doesn't change. And how God created this word doesn't change. And it's not going to change. <clears throat> so we need to get in line with God's word. <clears throat> now here's an important thing. Because God is immutable, because he's unchanged and unchanging, then it will be man who will have to change his attitude towards God, not the other way around. We will have to change our attitude towards God. God will not change his word. God will not change his ways to suit the ever-changing cultures of man. He just won't do it. What God calls sin and abomination is still sin and abomination, no matter what culture says. No matter what even some sections of the church say, God says it here, and it stands forever. It will not be changed to suit what people believe. There's a generation of young believers today who think that to see things in the light of the Bible is off-putting for their peers. And so they compromise, or they stay quiet. Why not be accepting, they say, of the 21st century attitudes towards sexuality or towards abortion or towards lifestyles that's more akin to celebrities? Why not just accept that? I mean, ease up on the Bible stuff, they say. Our unsaved friends will never accept us unless we ease up on the Bible stuff. Well, here's a newsflash for you. God's not going to change his beliefs to suit your peers. <laughs> He's not. It will not be changed. So we have to fall in line with that. Whether we're in line with it or we're in disagreement with it, one or the other, I would rather be in line with it. 
In fact, the only way that you will ever affect and influence them for God is if you don't change your beliefs. That's the only way. You will ever influence them or they will influence you one way or other. But you'll never influence them for Christ if you change your beliefs to suit the prevailing beliefs of today. If you stand strong on it and you know that God's word is not going to change, then stick with that and stay with that and be true to that. And I guarantee you, among all of your friends, somebody will admire you for sticking to your guns because the world hates hypocrites. The world hates hypocrites. The world doesn't want you preaching nothing if you don't believe what you're saying. They would rather you just shut up and say nothing. And so God is immutable. He is not going to change. Remember that this same gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, has been around for 2,000 years, and he hasn't changed one single tiny bit of it. It's still the same. And the wonder of it is that it's still able to change lives absolutely and completely today as it did 2,000 years ago, because it's still the same, and it works the same way. And it works in every culture, in every society, in every country, in every continent, in every color. It works. It works. That's why God has it there. Now, of course, the message is never going to change, but the methods, the methods to distribute the message is always changing. Thank God for new methods. We've got today, we've got our tablets, we've got our smartphones, we can stream stuff down on the internet, we can have podcasts, we can have DVDs, we have great books, we have everything, all at our disposal to make it easier for the message to go out, but the message doesn't change. If we change the message, then we're in trouble. And that's the problem today, where people are constantly trying to change the message. But Paul says, if we change the message, it becomes another gospel. Not the true gospel, but another gospel that does not work. God's immutability means that we are the ones who are going to have to change because he's never going to change. So you have to get that into your brain. God, you're not going to change. Your word's not going to change. So if there's going to be any change you've done, it's going to have to be me because you're not going to change. But thank God he gives us the power to change because he is the unchanging changer. And he changed you and he changed me. And he gave us the power to change. We didn't have it within ourselves, but he gave us the power for our lives to change. And that is the testimony of countless millions around the world today. Now, Christianity has always... It's always been counterculture. There's nothing new in that. It's counterculture today, and it was counterculture 2,000 years ago when it began. In fact, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in verse 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, there are few who find it. Isn't that the truth? Aren't Christians always in the minority? They're in the minority in your workplace. They're in the minority in your school. 
They're in the minority in your business. They're in the minority in your neighborhood. They might even be in the minority in your family because it's a narrow way and relatively few that find it compared to the whole population. Broad is the way because that's the most popular way. That's the way that's the, is the popular way for culture to go. And many there be that go that way because it's the broad way. But Jesus said it will lead to destruction. But it's the narrow way that leads to life. So that's our choice, isn't it? And at one point in our lives, we chose the narrow way. And then we found out quickly after that that we are no longer on the broad way, we're on the narrow way, and we're in the minority. Do you remember when you got saved and you went into your work, or you went into your school, and you had to testify? You had to make it known that you were a believer, and you knew you were in the minority immediately, didn't you? That was obvious. But that's okay. That's the way Jesus said that it's going to be. But that's all right. Be true to that. Be faithful to that. In 1 John chapter 2, First John chapter 2, verse 15, John says, Do not love the world, <coughs> excuse me, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him. Now you understand, of course, that he's not talking about the beauty and the grandeur of this planet we're on. He's talking about the society we live in and the stuff that goes on that we see day and daily. That Broadway that he, Jesus talked about. So he says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Everything is passing away. Everything. So that's why we need to be constant and to be faithful to the one thing that will not pass away, the word of God. What God has spoken will never pass away. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, logosmos, that means imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. There are many imaginations today. There are many high thoughts against God and against the things of God, against the people of God. That's obvious. We see that continually. Today, the atheists are fighting creation tooth and nail. Within the scientific world, if you're a Christian scientist, you're going to find it very hard to get anything published if you believe in creation, the chances of getting anything published is remote because there's such a fight against that. These are the high things, the imaginations of man that wants to be exalted. But Paul says that we're to bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, 
just over the page a little bit, and verse 4. Well, verse 3. But even if her gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Now, we're winding up. In the New Testament, the first century church had lots of problems with false teaching. The church wasn't long going until false teaching came in. And if you were to read the book of Colossae, for instance, the, the Christians at Colossae were struggling with this. They were struggling with some cult Gnosticism. From the Greek word to know, gnosis is to know. And teaching had come in. And the teaching, if I can put it basically, was it was a mixture of Judaism and Christianity and stuff from Persia and different parts of the world all syncretized together. And at the heart of it was that inside every human being is a divine spark. And if you had enough knowledge, you would find that divine spark within you. You would be your own God, as it were. There was other, tons of other stuff they believed that was wrong, but there was a, a thing of that. Is that not something like New Age today? Where the God inside of you, if you can only find, you'll find the goddess inside of you if you look hard enough, if you have enough knowledge. Well, they believed, you see, that they had special knowledge that nobody else had. And if you could get this special knowledge that they had, it would liberate you, it would free you. You would be wonderful. You would have a great new life. And that was slipping into the church. And the young church was getting confused because they were slipping in parts of Christianity and parts of Judaism into the, into the mix. Not much different than today. There's all kinds of beliefs today. There's what we have today as we talked the other week about progressives in politics today. But there's progressives in the church today. There's a branch of the church today that call themselves progressive Christians. In other words, the rest of you are old fuddy-duddies. If you believe that old ancient text called the Bible, if you believe everything in that, you're mad. You're an old fuddy-duddy. But we're progressive, you see. We don't believe all of that today. That was for then. That was for that generation, for that culture. But it's not for us in our culture today. So we have new thoughts today. And so they change things and they twist scriptures and they change all of that to suit the culture of today. And they think it's wonderful. They're called progressives. But they're going backwards instead of forwards. And they're blinding people to the truth. Because God's word will never change. No matter what age, no matter what society, no matter what generation, no matter what nation, it will never, ever change. It will always remain the same. And so God is self-existent. God is immutable. As we said this morning too, God is transcendent. He's above all. He's most high. And God is immanent. He is most nigh. These are just some of the things that we must get to grips with when understanding who God is. And see God as a big God, as a mighty God, a great God. 
that we can trust, that we can depend upon, that we can walk with, that we can get to know progressively more and more. And as we do, then he become bigger in our thinking. And then we'll not have to apologize about anything. Too many believers are apologizing about the Bible and apologizing, apologizing about that. We don't have to apologize about anything. This word is true. It's unchanging because it was the unchanging, unchangeable God who wrote it for us. Amen. And so it doesn't matter what the experts say. John Lennox says that nonsense is always going to be nonsense. It doesn't matter the greatest science in the world speaks it. It's still nonsense. <laughs> but we've got the truth. We've got God's word. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you that you are immutable. Amen. That you are the unchanging God. And so we can trust you tonight. Your word never fails. Lord, your word is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. Lord, so many has tried to destroy your word, but where are they today? They're gone. Your word still prevails. And so we can count upon it tonight. We can live for it and live with it tonight because it is immutable like you are. And so we give you thanks for it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.